Hello, you're listening to Let's Talk Property on Radio Reverb 97.2 FM and DAB, sponsored by Callaway Sales and Lettings Agents. It's great to have you here with me today. I'm Heather Hilda Darling, and in the virtual studio with me is my co host, James Duffy. Good morning, James. Hi, Heather. Right, well, we've got a special guest today. Um, We've got a great program for you today. We've got Martin Bridges, Jeff Brazier, Charlie Luxton, and Scott Somerville, but more about that later. So let's just start, shall we, with um, Gas Safety Week, James. Um, That's a really important time of the year, and obviously, for somebody like you, it's important all year round. Perhaps you can give us a little bit of an intro. Yeah, that's right, Heather. It obviously is something that's important all year round, day in, day out. But it is Gas Safety Week is a really good uh, campaign to raise the awareness of the importance of uh, gas, having gas safety uh, on on specifically rented properties. Um, you know, if people fail in their compliance of not having an up to date gas safety, um, there are all sorts of consequences, not just for people the tenants and the occupiers health and what will happen there but obviously landlords could be hit with fines up to six thousand pounds and in worst case scenarios they could face uh, imprisonment up to six months so it's really vital that um, anyone that has a responsibility for managing a property is completely aware of these legislations um, and um, it's not just the gas safety you know boilers need to be serviced to make sure that they are maintained throughout throughout the tenancy so that they don't break down when you lease want them to and they remain safe well i think we've got several issues there haven't we james really we're we're talking about safety we're talking about efficiency and we're Mm. talking about economy so saving some pounds where we can and obviously the weather's turning now it's horrible today isn't it Um, and a lot of us will be working from home this winter potentially so i would suggest that this is a time we really need to get our boilers serviced and making sure that they switch on and off when we want them to what do you think yeah i think that's a you know brilliant bit bit of advice you know and um when 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 you're planning your annual uh, gas safety certificate to be done you know people might as well uh, ask their contractor to do to do the uh, the service while they're there you know uh, it just makes complete sense and it probably will keep the boiler going for a lot longer and it would reduce costs long term and give them peace of mind that it's being looked after Exactly. But anyway, we've got a great person coming up next. It's, um, it's, he's the director at Worcester Bosch. So perhaps, James, you could introduce our guest. Yes, we're really pleased to um, be speaking to uh, Martin Bridges on this topic. Wonderful. Thank you, James. Hello, Martin. Hello, Heather. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, Martin... Safety has been on the top of our minds during the last six months, has it not? And here's yet more safety that we've got to think about. Yes, absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about the research carried out by Research Without Barriers? Yeah, uh, it's something we do annually, uh, mostly in readiness for Gas Safety Week. And uh, on this occasion, we surveyed uh, just over 2,000 properties, some of which were tenants, some of which were owners, and posed the question about their gas appliances. Um, It it coincided with this 
summer spring period which is traditionally when you have your boilers serviced when they're not necessarily being used for heating purposes so you, most people select that summer period and uh, I, I guess unsurprisingly um, quite a few people hadn't had the, their boiler service as they normally would now uh, the, the reasons are quite obvious, I, I'm sure, that uh, we were all uh, told, uh, early on at least, you, you couldn't even socialise. So the thought of having a, a stranger into your home to look at something, um, that was out of the question. Uh, in fairness, the, the government were, were fairly good at this early on. We posed the question as an industry to government are we allowed in people's properties? We weren't categorised, heating engineers and plumbers weren't categorised as an essential worker. I think they called us an important worker. Uh, but if it was an emergency, if your boiler had failed or perhaps you had a leak, then yes, we were allowed in, complying with all the social distancing, etc., uh, to put right whatever had gone wrong. But the boiler servicing wasn't sort of deemed as essential. It would be okay to sort of let that drift a little bit. And uh, I think people may have lost the window, which they would normally use. So today oh. is really a reminder to, uh, oh, don't forget, you know, winter's approaching. Uh, you may have been correct and proper in, in deferring it, but uh, it really does still need doing, though. And presumably now there's a backlog of, um, you know, servicing that needs doing, not only servicing, yeah. but potentially landlords having their tenants' boilers serviced as well. So, um, you know, this is a very, I, I, I'm frightened with gas. I don't know why gas really frightens me. So having a gas safety is something that really needs to be done, especially as you said earlier, we're coming up to winter. And, you know, I'm looking outside the studio window today and the sun's shining, but we'll be getting heating issues, maybe frozen pipes. This is something we really need to think about. Yes, indeed, and, and I, I can fully understand gas. Um, it is one of those uh, black arts to a lot of people. <laughs> uh, by and large, it's a very, very safe form of use. There, there are 23 million homes connected to the gas grid. Uh, I heard the other day there's 136,000 miles of gas pipe work zigzagging all under the ground connecting to our properties. So, you know, it's a, it's a fairly... Uh, intricate infrastructure we have uh, and of course we only hear of situations when it's gone terribly wrong mm. but for virtually most of the time it is a very safe and reliable form of heating and cooking for, for most people um, but yeah it, it does rely on us playing a part and uh, whilst most of the time, you very, very rarely actually nowadays hear of carbon monoxide issues with gas or, or with anything. If the majority of issues which do occur in the UK are tending to be from wood burners or coal fires more so than boilers. Mm -hmm. um, in, in the last 20 years or so, a boiler flue system is sealed from the room they call them room-sealed, naturally, flue systems. 
let's go back 30 or 40 years, and that wasn't the case. They, they had an open flu, typically. I don't know whether you've ever been in somebody's house where they used to even, in some instances, have the fire, rather have the boiler behind the fire in the lounge. Oh, yes, I had one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'd, they'd last forever, a back boiler, and you, you could hear them fire up occasionally when they needed to. Yes. And, that's a great example of an open fluid boiler. And of course, throughout the summer period, um, things can happen with the flu or the chimney. You can perhaps have a bird nesting around the terminal at the top of it or some other restriction taking place. And with that type of appliance, if the flu is restricted, the flu gases can come back into the room where the boiler is. So those older appliances, particularly, it's essential that they're serviced annually so all these things can be checked. Newer boilers are 15, 20 years old, I'm classing as new, uh, right up to modern day. They're very safe indeed. They just won't work if there's a problem with them. They're full of safety devices and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so Gas Safety Week, what, what is this all about? Is this to try and raise awareness to homeowners and obviously landlords because the legislation regarding gas safety in rental properties is um, to be taken extremely seriously, is it not? Yes, this is where the confusion, I think, lies as well. But uh, Gas Safety Week, first of all, this is now in its 10th year and it's a week, it's an annual campaign lasting for a week raising the prominence and publicity of gas safety. Originally, it started uh, to try and um, raise awareness of carbon monoxide. And that was uh, a little bit more prevalent 10 years or so ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but now it, its core reason for being there is still safety. But there, we've moved a little as well onto other things, such as efficiency. So... Uh, getting your boiler serviced annually will actually save you money in terms of its running use, its, its, its gas consumption. Uh, I know that sounds sort of countered by the fact that you've got to pay for an engineer to come into your home to undertake that. But when the boiler is in operation, it will be running more efficiently. The engineer will check that the combustion settings are correct, that the CO2 and the CO values are, are right, and it's running at its optimum efficiency, that the heat exchanger is clean, you know, everything is right and proper. It'll also give you durability and longevity, and boilers will last a lot longer if they are serviced on an annual basis. But I can understand with some people the confusion, because it's a legal requirement with landlords and tenants to have it done, but not for normal homeowners. Homeowners. No, it's odd, isn't it, really? It's very strange. If you go to Germany, it's a requirement for everybody. And I think in Germany, your household insurance is also void if you can't demonstrate you've had your boiler serviced. So in the UK, we confuse matters because the boiler that you and I have in our home is no different to a boiler that's in a landlord-tenant type arrangement. Mm -hmm. That you know, there's no special boiler for them and one for us. They're they're all as safe or or as dangerous as each other. 
So why does it differ? I can't quite get that. But the health and safety executives still choose not to make it legal requirement for homeowners, um, but they do for tenants and landlords. There's a more of a there is a commercial pressure a little bit on homeowners though, because a, a new boiler today you can quite easily get very long warranties, perhaps five years or ten years of warranty. And the warranty, though, is um, it is valid, providing you have your boiler serviced on an annual basis and you can demonstrate that. Then the warranty is sort of energised for another year. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't have it done, you haven't met your part of the, uh, the deal uh, and the warranty could be invalidated by the manufacturer. Mm. And of course, you know, when you're bu either buying or selling a property, that's the sort of thing you want to know. How long has the boiler been in? You know, how efficient is it? Has it been serviced? So really, it, it covers a whole swathe of, of instances that boilers really need to be safe. And you're quite right about the, um, the CO2 monitors. I remember several years ago, I think our boiler's about 20 years old now, and the gas man said, um, oh, do you want, um, we, we we're going to put a CO2 monitor in and I thought what on earth do we want that for <laughs> but it is an extra fail safe isn't it and I just think it is such a dangerous um, you know carbon monoxide and we've heard some terrible um, reports in the news about carbon monoxide poisoning that why would you risk it they're not expensive monitors in any shape or form in fact they're I think they're probably most of them under 30 pounds so whether you have to change a battery now and then or not um, the other thing that you picked up on which I'd like to just um, ask about is the the tenants and the landlords now the landlords have an obligation to have the you know to pass on the gas safety certificate to their tenants so um, I really think that if landlords aren't up to speed now they need to be um, because you know, coming up for winter time, obviously, if they don't have a proper working boiler, then they could be hit by compensation claims for, you know, um, not being able to use the property, um, fines, etc, etc. So I think this gas safety week is coming at exactly the right time. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually, I've just posted an Instagram poll, actually. I, I've just asked our Sussex listeners, how long has it been since your boiler was last serviced? What, what sort of answer would you expect to come from that, um, Martin? Um, I would say probably 50% have done it every 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, I know every time we do this ourselves, we find that it's smallish it's still about 15 percent have never had their boiler service <gasps> no um, no honestly and they just wait for it to break down they feel it's a waste of money to have it serviced and they wait for it to break down and would rather pay a breakdown fee than uh, you know a I, i'm guessing but it's roughly about a hundred pound to get a service engineer in to uh, undertake this or you can virtually double that, though, if you're on a service contract where, you know, the service and the breakdown and the parts are perhaps included as well. 
for an, it is a small amount really it's a meal out isn't it yeah oh absolutely and and i think it's the sort of thing that you do you know every sort of end of september beginning of october um we always go around checking that all the smoke alarm batteries in our house are working and obviously you know if you're a landlord you should be making sure that tenants do all of that and that if if they're not working or if you haven't if a, if a tenant hasn't got his little gas safety certificate he should really be chasing his landlord um yes. i think it's i love the. i actually i didn't never heard about this um the legal requirements in germany do you think that's mm. something that the uk might bring in at some point yes we we've approached the hse more than once to do this and they're still under the okay we can bring a new rule in but we must lose one of the existing rules it was a bit of a mantra years ago by the then government to cut bureaucracy but we do have um the, the circumstances are changing we have this net zero carbon target hanging over us by 2050 which all of our industry supports and to achieve that um we're finding that the gas quality is changing they're trying to green the gas a little bit so you may have heard of read about it yourself where they're injecting biomethane into the grid from anaerobic digestion systems which have converted farm waste and uh, they're generally cited on sewerage farms and things like that, mm-hmm. where, you know, this obviously this waste matter is now, the methane from it is being extracted, injected back into the gas grid. It's a brilliant story, and this gas is now greener element of it. But that means the quality of the gas has to vary slightly compared to where we are today. Mm. So the combustion of the boiler... Uh, may get impacted on it if it isn't checked annually and made sure everything's running correctly, the pressures are correct and the CO-CO2 ratios are correct. So, yeah, I think not through safety in that respect, but through the gas quality changing, there is more likelihood that they can only change it to more extreme levels if there is a servicing regime in place for everybody. Mm. Um, Martin, you've brought a very important um, topic to our attention this today. So just to wrap up, could you give me your top three tips in light of the research as to what uh, families, you know, householders and landlords should do in the next week at least? So your top three tips, please. <laughs> well, definitely it's going to be get uh, for landlords and tenants uh, there has been no relaxation on this. So even during the the real height of COVID, you were still required to get a a gas safety check undertaken. Um, So that should still, it should be in place. And if you haven't done, then that's quite remiss. And you're also really breaking the law there. Uh, But for homeowners, if you have deferred it, I can understand that, you know, some people wanted to be rather safe but we're all going to be working a bit more from home as well this winter so we'll need the boilers like we've never needed them before (laughs) uh, 
<laughs> Good uh, point. <laughs> you know, they'll be on in the daytime as well as the night and early morning. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, for all those reasons, I, can I urge everybody, if they've yet to do so, to get their boiler serviced throughout at least September in readiness mm. for the, uh, the colder months. Of generally, it's, it, it's more like mid-October to about the end of February where it, we're really at the peak and the heating is really being worked hard. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have a few weeks yet. The timing is, is right for this gas safety campaign to urge people to uh, get their appliances checked. Yes, and where do you think they should go for the best information on all of this? Well, any search engine, if you first of all put in there Worcester Bosch, then on our website we've got material, information on how best to use your boiler and information about Gas Safety Week. Also, the Gas Safe website. Now, this is uh, the uh, website which holds the registration details of every qualified and competent gas safe engineer in the country. So, these guys are professional they have to retake their qualifications every five years they hold the right insurances um you know that you, you can guarantee there they will do the job properly so they have a handy postcode uh sort of uh, field on their website so if you input your postcode it will offer you up a handful or more of local installers who are all capable and qualified to do uh, the job professionally. That's really important, isn't it? That the engineers who come to do the work are trained, insured and indemnified and have got all the right qualifications. So thank you for reminding of us that. So um, just to sum up, um, we shouldn't let this subject go off the boil. Um, and in fact, I think I've just thought of another little phrase, how the green gas goes for future use. So you've really given us a good insight to what Gas Safety Week is all about. Thank you so much for joining me today, Martin. And thanks for joining me, Heather Hilda Darling, on Let's Talk Property. Radio Reverb. Well, I think Martin had some really, really um, interesting information there about gas safety. Uh, fortunately, I have had my, my gas boiler done and um, I shouldn't have to worry about the cold winter coming forward. Um, right, so swiftly moving on, we now have um, a very well-known TV presenter, life coach and author of The Grief Survival Guide. Now, in property, obviously property and will sort of go hand in hand and uh, really looking forward to presenting our guest in a minute. But James, why is it important to have a will if you've got property or assets of any kind? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's uh, a big topic that uh, would take quite a lot of explaining. But um, um, any listeners that are looking to buy property with somebody else, whether that be a friend or a, or a, or a family member, um, they they really need to think about how that property uh, would need to be de uh, dealt with Um if on the unfortunate situation where one of them um, obviously passed away, and the will is the is the right mechanism to be clear about how how that property is dealt with, um, and as you say, our next guest is going to give us uh, some really good information about how the, uh, the wills can be uh, dealt with. So I'd like to introduce introduce Dref Brazier to talk to us about this topic. 
Yes, and I think Jeff has got some really interesting points here. Um, and in fact, he compares keeping your will a bit like keeping your car MOT'd. So um, I'm not quite sure I'd, uh, <laughs> I, I think quite the same way, but I think he's absolutely right. So let's listen to Jeff I think Brace, he is. Yeah. That's a really good way. It is, isn't it? Okay, so thank yes. you. Take it away, Jeff Brace. Yeah, hello, Jeff. Hi Heather, how are you? Well, I'm fine, but this isn't the easiest of topics to talk about, but a very important one nonetheless. Yeah, no, I understand that a lot of people find it really difficult to speak about death as a subject uh, on the whole. It's typically British as well, isn't it? I think we're yeah. some way behind a lot of other nations and a lot of other cultures. But um, the, the problem is that if we don't have the conversation... Um, we can leave a real challenge for not just the executors of these wills, but also the family that we leave behind. And obviously, you know, they're going to be finding it hard enough to, to grieve, um, you know, typically. But, um, you know, to then add the additional layers of, um, of, of litigation or, uh, you know, contention that comes with it is something that surely we'd all want to avoid. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was just, well, fascinated and shocked and all the sort of emotions in between just reading this research. So tell me, what were the bits that surprised and shocked you? Well, the research from co-oplegalservices.co.uk have stated that there's been a 70% surge in the amount of people that have done their wills in lockdown. I think there's a real obvious reason for that. And I don't know how you've felt in the last three or four months. Um, but we've got the time and the space to think about things, to evaluate our life, who we are, where we've come from, where we want to go. Um, and we never really usually allowed ourselves to do that because we're so wrapped up in the, in the hamster wheel of life, if you like. So uh, obviously lots and lots of people have sat there and thought, I know I'm going to get my will done. And that's really, really good news. Um, but what the research also suggests, Heather, is that actually 75% of those that have done the will didn't actually and haven't still told the executor that they are indeed in that position. And that's a concern. No, absolutely. Um, and actually, Jeff, what I'm really curious about is the survey was for people 18 plus. I mean, did you think of, of setting up a will when you were 18? Absolutely not. Um, no. <clears throat> to be honest, I probably did mine when I was 35. And it was because of writing the book, The Grief Survival Guide, and actually mm. having spoken to... I wanted to put a chapter in there about um, about the will process um, and the funeral process. And, and actually, it wasn't until I'd actually spoke to solicitors that I realised that, do you know what, there's a lot of people that are setting, almost setting their families up for a real fall, uh, not just by dying, um, <laughs> but, but actually by not leaving them a will or, or sometimes by leaving, the, uh, by leaving a will, by actually leaving out something that's really priceless. And that is some context. Some information maybe around it. You don't ever have to give an explanation as to why you've left what you've left to who. Um, you know, that's, that's at your own discretion, obviously. But, you know, sometimes when we don't have that person anymore, what we really, you know, what becomes instantly priceless is any, any information, any words, any explanation as to, you know, I've done this because this is what I think is best for the family or this is what I think that person needs and that's why I've done this differently. Because otherwise, if there is no explanation, certainly if you've not even told the executor, then not only does that executor become in a position that they didn't necessarily know that they were they were headed for, but also they then become the, the focus of everybody's frustration. Mm. And 
this is probably someone that we consider to be a friend or uh, someone that's very close to us indeed. So why would we want to put them in a difficult position? And the truth is, we just avoid this, the conversation. We oh. think, oh, I've done the will, I've, I've established who's going to what, and I've put an executor in place. Um, but by not having that conversation, it's almost like you're, you're so close to getting it all done and tied up where you can literally relax. But you're just stopping short of that one. But I, I, you know, I want to know why we do that. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there as well. You said we've done the will, but actually, of course, wills you have to revisit, don't you, every so often because circumstances change. I mean, in my situation, obviously, I've got grandchildren now, and as they all start coming along, you want the same for each one of them as well. And and it's so easy to sort of forget you did a will 20 years ago, and actually your, your personal situation, your assets may have changed, and all that really needs to be looked at properly and thoroughly. I, I see it as a vital bit of admin, as important as keeping your car MOT'd and taxed, if not more. Of course, it's far more important. <laughs> uh, my own personal view on it, Heather, is that I, I love my family. I love all those that are going to benefit from my, from my will uh, in whatever my state is and whatever is left to um, So I want to protect their mental health when they're grieving for me. Um, I hope that I obviously go long before my children. Um, but if, if that wasn't the case, and if, if they were then having to deal with the fact that they'd lost their mum and dad, um, then I would want to make sure that it was kept as simple and as straightforward and that it was all tied up and done um, so that there was no unforeseen circumstances, no difficulties with regards to inheritance tax. So I'd literally gone into all of that out of love for them so that they could just get on with the very difficult and undesirable process of, of, of loss and of grief. Mm. Do, you, do you think, I mean, it was interesting that you mentioned mental health there. I mean, obviously, those are very huge topics, but equally dealing with the process of grief. And we all know there are the five processes of going through grief. But when you're having to think about dealing with a will and what's been left to you and who's going to be the executor, it's not really a good time to have to deal with all of that when you're going through all that process. What advice would you give to people? Um, my, my advice is to, to preempt all of these things, to, to answer the questions that are yet to be asked and actually to, to kind of just, instead of viewing it as something that we'll just save for later on when, when we get to that age, which is, you know, an incredible gamble bearing in mind that we don't literally know what's going to happen at any moment and mm. that we should never take a minute for granted to get it done now. You'll feel better for getting it done. You're, you know, all right, getting it done is one thing. Having the conversations with people is another. And you might feel that you're creating contention, which is a reason maybe just to leave it and let them unravel it um, when you're gone. But why would we want to leave that legacy? Why would we want to tar or tarnish, really, what would be, you know, what should be a time of reflection and of mourning and of, and of grief and sorrow and sadness with with something that is unavoidable, such as the whole contention around why did he do that or why didn't he do that? Or if he had, he did have done that, then we wouldn't have had to pay all that tax. And actually mm. we would have had been able to put it in traffic. You know, there, there are things that we should really concern ourselves with. It doesn't mean you're going to die sooner by having a conversation. <laughs> That's a common misconception and it is laughable. <laughs> so what, what we absolutely need to do is just, 
put our big girl's pants on, I think, and and actually start to um, start to embrace the conversation and embrace the organisation of it, and know that we've done something out of love for our family. The trouble is we're not very good as Brits, are we, talking about emotions? So I think that's something else that we have to overcome. And the whole thing about, you know, going to a solicitor who maybe you've never been to a solicitor before, you don't know what it's going to be like when you go there, all that can just add to the trauma of having to, you know, think about your will when you're already confused about, oh, what you're going to leave to who? Who's going to be angry because you might have left them out? What, you know, have you left enough here, there and everything? Everywhere. So the whole thing together just adds to this sort of boiling pot of emotions. Um, but obviously, you know, you've written almost you know, a survival guide. So what would you say are the best three tips from there that you think, well, actually, if I'd just done A, B and C, and if my, you know, other people that you know, friends and family had done the same, they could have avoided so much. I can encapsulate it this way. Communication is absolutely key, uh, wow. both before and after the event. What I mean by that is beforehand, can we can we tell everybody that we love them? Can we can we make sure that those words that are not spoken often are actually said so that that person can experience that that memory of wow. knowing how much they meant to you. Yeah. Um, you know that, that this is very much aside from a will, but it's the same connotation. It's the same. It's the same thing. Don't leave things until the last minute when it's too late, um, because you know simple words. I love you. You know that that can be felt and literally taken on as such a huge comfort for people that have lost you. Um, but very often they don't get to hear them because we assume that that day wasn't going to come yet. Yeah. Um, and that's the problem with obviously making wills, telling executives that they are executives and giving some context as to why people mm. are, are being left what they've been left. Mm. Let's communicate ahead of the event. Let's talk now um, and get into the habit of doing that. And you know what? It saves the most unbelievable amount of pain. Um, and, you know, grief is, is the most difficult experience for a lot of people in their lives anyway. It really mm an unknown quantity that until you've experienced it, you just don't know. And even if you have experienced it, it doesn't make it any easier second no. time round. So let's get all of this done beforehand and, and help people to just go through one set of unimaginable pain instead of you adding a few layers on top of that by not communicating. There you go. Oh, that, that's great advice. Um, now, you did mention also about, you know, the, the difficulties of being an executor. How would you approach somebody who you wanted to be an executor for your will? To, I mean, it's almost like another whole conversation, a whole new communication process, isn't it? It is, right. So what I would do, and I'll have to make this my last response because I've got someone trying to call Yeah, sure. Uh, um, so I would... I remember what you're doing ultimately is you are bestowing a huge compliment on this individual. It shows that you think they're competent and able enough. It also shows that you trust them enough. So, you know, for them, it's actually quite a, if you're telling them in advance, it would be quite an honor for you to, for you to do that. Um, however, if you appoint them and don't tell them, then they're probably going to be like, cheers, mate. You know, <laughs> now I've got to deal with all the siblings and everyone's, sort of issues with what you've left and what you haven't and the words you've said and the words you haven't. Um, so it can be a bit of a stitch up. So there's a huge difference between the same thing 
in name in it and not name in it. So that would absolutely be my advice. If you're going to leave an executor, if you're going to appoint somebody, have a conversation with them. It might be a bit like, oh, I'm talking about my death here, but it doesn't mean to say it's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> it still might be another 40 years until it happens. Mm. Um, you know, hopefully so. So, uh, you know, it's, they're obviously special to you and, and you, you, that's why you're entrusting them with it. So obviously it's, it's, it's a conversation. If you can't have it with them, who can you have it with? Um, I don't know. Let's, let's be brave. Let's be courageous and let's save our family a lot of additional heartache. Uh, on top of what they would experience anyway. Brilliant advice. Thank you for joining me today, Jeff. And thanks for joining me, Heather Hilda, darling, on Let's Talk Property. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Heather. Bye. Thank you. Radio Reverb. Radio Reverb. Thank you, Jeff. That was some really some really good advice there, and I hope um, our listeners um, um, will take advantage of some of those um, good tips. And of course, they can catch up with the program on on podcast, can't they? On Anchor.fm. So thank you, James. So moving swiftly on because we still got quite a lot to pack in today's uh, show. Um, we're now talking about healthy homes and sustainability. James, is this something you think about a lot? I mean, we know that within our industry, there's a lot that goes on about CO2 emissions mm. um, and efficiencies. Um, yep. You know, we know that EPCs give us all the information we need on that. What's your take on, on all this sustainability? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it is something I take an interest in, um, and in, in 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 the course of my work, I'm finding that the you know customers and consumers are definitely asking a lot more questions around this area. And you talked about uh, it there just a moment ago, Heather, about the EPCs, and I'm finding that the buyers and tenants uh, are thinking about what is what is the energy efficiency of the home that I'm going to buy, and how can it be improved? Um, and um, you know, they, there are people talking about electric car charging points, especially in a city like Brighton so it is something that we have to keep um, you know exploring and, and, and making sure that we are we are making improvements to we all want to reduce our carbon footprint at the end of the day exactly so I think this is a great topic for us to have on um, on today's show um, and obviously winter's coming ahead again you know how are we going to heat our homes how are we going to stay stay warm etc so we're going to speak now to um, an architectural designer writer and TV presenter and also a spokesperson for eon um, so James would you like to introduce our next guests yes so we're really looking forward to speaking to Charlie Luxton and Scott Somerville. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Scott. Hello, Heather. <laughs> A very cheerful hello there. Charlie, can I start with you, please? Yeah, absolutely. Lovely. Not long ago, we Brits wanted a home abroad. Then we wanted homes by the sea. Then we wanted homes with character, doer-uppers maybe to satisfy our inner creativity. Do we know what we really, really want? Well, I think, you know, undoubtedly there's fashions in, um, in housing. That's, that's always been the way. But I also think there are sort of underlying trends and advances as well. And I think you can separate those two things. Just because you might want a house by the sea or, or in a town or in the countryside, the fact that you, you, you might also sort of below that want it to be a sustainable, healthy home is a slightly different thing. And I think what we are seeing is a real focus on the potential of sustainability 
uh, for our houses. And, and it's about time because houses in this country produce about 25% of all the CO2. That's just to heat and light them. That's not to build them or knock them down or all those other things. So they're a really big part of the issue that we need to tackle if we want to reduce CO2 emissions and, and climate change. So, you know, houses absolutely need to be thought about. And I think there's, there's, there's a, another sort of knock on from that. And I think it's really important when you're thinking about sustainable homes, there's kind of three wins as far as I'm concerned. There's the win that we reduce CO2 emissions and hopefully reduce climate change. So that to me is very important. It might not be to some people. But there's a second benefit, which is that well-insulated, low-energy homes are healthier. They're warmer, they have less humidity, they have less mould, and therefore they're healthier, better spaces to live. They're better for you. And what we see is that in this country, we have a lot of quite poor quality housing that's very poorly insulated, bad ventilation, which leads to bad health outcomes. They reckon in Wales alone, there's about a billion pounds of um, spent through the NHS dealing with the impacts of poor quality housing. So that's like the second bit. And then the third bit is that you know, investing in your home to drive down the energy requirement or to introduce photovoltaics and batteries to, again, give you sustainable energy, not only increases the value of your home, it makes it cheaper to run. And so you've got the kind of three benefits there all lined up now. And people are starting to really understand that. And the research from Eon shows that nine out of 10 people prospective home buyers really want sustainability as, a, as the most important factor in their next house choice over gardens and ensuite bathrooms and walk-in wardrobes. So, you know, it's a really exciting time if, like me, you've been sort of involved in this area for sort of 15, 20 years. There, there's some great ideas there. I, I mean, I love the idea of sustainable and healthy. So perhaps I can move on to you, Scott, now and ask, what are we actually talking about when we say sustainable? What sort of things are we looking at for the home? There's so much. Uh, some are very small. Some are changes in our behaviour, and some are, are more structural. As, as as Charlie touched on there about improving insulation, making you sure you've got a more efficient boiler, or adding solar panels and battery. But I think the critical thing here is there's something we can all do. And again, what's brilliant about this research is it's showing that not only you know are you benefiting the planet, fighting the climate crisis by making these improvements. There's benefits clearly in terms of reducing your energy use and even with solar panels, the possibility of, of, of earning a little bit of money back as well. So therefore you've got individual benefit, but you've also got that collective benefit for all of us as well. So it really is a myriad of things. And I say what we've always tried to work to do at E.ON is give people hints, tips and advice. But where we can make a, a change on behalf of our customers, we've got around 3.8 million in the UK, we'll step up and take that action and play our part as well. So, for example, just a little over a year ago, we took the decision to switch all of our residential customers uh, to 100% renewable electricity. That means if you're a customer of E.ON, if you get electricity from us, you know it's come from renewable sources. That was done at no extra cost to customers and a sort of automatic behind the scenes. So the first thing I would always stress to people is check you're with an energy provider that is giving you renewable electricity. Clearly, I really hope you choose Eon, but make sure that's the first thing you can do. Beyond that, check your home's well insulated, check you've got an, a, an efficient boiler, and I say, and then you know have a look at things like solar panels and batteries. 
it's been such an exciting time seeing the cost of you know the solar panels of batteries come down over the last not just five or ten years but the last two or three years so now on average our, our solar installations start around four thousand pounds interest refinance you know on those as there is with much many and, and uh, things these days you can be looking at around 111 pounds a month and then there's obviously the payback you get around 400 pounds a year on average and that knowledge that you're improving emissions that you're making your life more sustainable and that's got a benefit to everybody but as Charlie's touched on that's a benefit to all of us could be you're in a warmer cozier home if you're improving the insulation or it could be that you're helping to improve the air pollution the air quality where you live by generating your own power from renewable sources uh, that, that's great because actually it brings me on to another question for you Charlie and you have already answered it in your first paragraph if you like um, but the you know, are we actually waking up to these environmental issues or is it all about economics? Well, I think unfortunately those, those two things have to align. I think, you know, I think if you say to someone, do you care about the planet? Yes. Are you prepared to spend thousands of pounds uh, out of your own pocket to resolve that when you don't know anyone else is doing it? The answer is often no. But what I think has happened is that people are starting to understand what the real impacts of some of the decisions that we've made over many years are. So for example, the cars stopping driving around, the increase in air quality. I think people will hold on to that for a long time and really drive for the, you know, the adoption of electric vehicles. I mean, it's something we should be doing because air pollution costs us a fortune in terms of health. Again, you know, houses that are, that are mold damp, you know, moldy and damp, cost us a fortune in kind of health outcomes not just financially but you know emotionally like unhappiness is huge what has happened now is that the that the kind of the pendulum of shift the cost of some of these technologies are really within reach and you know and as scott mentioned like the first thing you can do when you go home today is check you're on a green energy tariff it probably won't cost you anything to change to one it might be a tiny uplifting cost if, if anything not with Eon, Charlie. Step. Not with Eon. But that's the first thing you can do today. Today. And to be honest with you, that's why when Ian came to me, Ian came to me and said, Will you, you know, will you get involved in this work? I said, Absolutely, because they're the first of the big six to do this. And I'm I'm it's such an important step. I cannot emphasize how important it is because if we start shifting to green energy providers like Eon, they will then invest in new technology. People can build the facilities because they know there's a market for it. And actually, you know, the government subsidized gas and oil all over the world. Now it's cheaper to put solar panels in Southern Europe than it is anything else. So yeah. the times are changing. The economics are here and the technologies here. And just quickly on that is like when you start thinking about things like batteries in your home and solar panels, which Ian are offering, you can you then can start to sort of take electricity off the grid in the middle of the night when it's really cheap. There are even times when they'll pay you to take the energy off the grid because there's too much of it. And then you use it back when you need it. And then you can be putting that into your cars, into air source and ground source heat pumps, getting rid of gas boilers. There's such an exciting kind of mix of technologies and potential coming down the track and, and, and available now affordably that really you should, should get involved. It, it, it's a very exciting area. 
No, I agree with you. But I mean, equally, we can go to a green energy tariff. But Scott, I mean, could you take me through some of these, um, you know, how we can lower energy bills without actually spending a lot of money to start with? Clearly, a lot of us have been working from home during lockdown. We've been probably wishing we had air conditioning rather than heating and new boilers. But um, we have many, many millions of properties in the UK that were built sort of pre-war, etc. Surely, you know, the, the first thing is to look at how we can make those um, have more be more economic and less energy using. So what things could homeowners do? Absolutely. So one of the first things you can do is to make sure that you have your energy supplier install a smart meter. These are meters that can then show you what energy you're using because ultimately understanding how your energy is used in your home it's the first step, you know, as we all know, knowledge is power in this respect. So that's that, that, that's a free installation, again, that, that the energy providers are, 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 are offering as part of a nationwide rollout and, and one I'm proud to say that we're leading, leading Aeon. So that's the first thing, that'll give you information. The second thing from that is to think about and check how well insulated your home is. As you touched on, it's been warm in the summer, but actually Insulation has a has a warming effect uh, in the winter, but can then, you know, combined with a couple of other, you know, little behavioural changes, can also help keep your house cool in the summer. So again, there's advantages there, and that doesn't need to be a new build house. There's so many different types of insulation, from cavity wall to solid wall, um, and so on and so forth. So there's the right insulation for the right kind of houses out there. I promise you. Mm -hmm. Then beyond that, there's the other, you know, changes we can take. If your house isn't leaking energy. And you'll find, you know, again, it's 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 a bit warmer in the winter. That's where that's where we do need to, to focus. You'll be able to turn your thermostat down by by a degree or so, and that can make a big difference to the amount you're using. You know, it's it's a small change for all of us, but it adds up to that bigger change in terms of you know wider society. You know, if you think about just how many houses there are in the UK, if we all just made little changes, again, if we improved our homes, they're actually beneficial changes. These are behaviour changes that will enhance our lives, not take away, but actually the impact on the environment is reduced. So, you know, just as a really simple thing, get a smart meter, then you can understand uh, the energy you're using insulation is always a really great place to start as well because ultimately if your home isn't well insulated and it you know we've had nice weather but it is beginning to turn that little bit now when we all start turning that heating back on if your home's not well insulated you're heating the sky and the air all around your house as well as the inside and mm. you know that's not a sensible thing to do either for the planet but it's not sensible for our pockets either so i think insulation's a really good one to check uh -huh. smart meters I'm sorry make sure I, I, you're being efficient yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think when you said turn down your thermostat and, and actually, you know, just washing our clothes at a lower temperature as well and, you know, putting the washing machine on a on a, a more of an economic programme rather than having it running, you know, 60, 60 minutes, two hours sometimes. Um, but of course, as homeowners and even tenants, we've all got the opportunity of referring to the energy performance certificate. So um, I wonder how many homeowners actually look at those or tenants before after they've actually moved in to say well there's quite a lot of advice on here about how much energy I'm using would you say that's fair comment I think I think there's been a, I think there's been a, a disconnect actually between people buying houses and actually asking that question of well mm. how much does it cost to keep it warm mm. and, and there was a similar situation with our cars I mean if you think you know maybe 15 years ago Nobody knew the miles per gallon of their car. They just weren't interested. And I bet oh. if you ask people now, 
they pretty much all know exactly what the MPG of their car is. So there is a shift that has happened in cars that is starting to happen in our houses. And this, this E.ON research really shows that that is gaining momentum. And, you know, I think there's undoubtedly partly to do with uh, the way that lockdown has affected us in the pandemic. But also, I think there is a general shift in awareness. And just to really pick up on a point that was made, Heather, you made earlier about it getting hot over summer. You know, well-insulated houses do not get as hot in the hot weather. A lot of the time they're overheating because you don't have enough insulation. You know, when you go into the, the top floor of an old Victorian terrace and it is absolutely baking hot in there, it's because the slates are at 70 degrees and there's not enough insulation between you and those black slates. So yeah. if your house is getting hot in summer, chances are you don't have enough insulation. So, you know, these are just little tick tips you can, you can really <laughs> think about. And, and finally, just to say quickly, is that you can do this to any house. We've taken a grade two listed little thatch cottage and turn that into a super low energy house, reducing its CO2 emissions by over 80%. It is totally achievable and it's totally, you know, it's step-by-step -step stuff and it will add value to your house. That's, that's the great other sort of side of the, the research from Eon is it does add value. So it's sort of, you know, it's almost like four wins in a row now. So we really, <laughs> people, take this one and get on with it. <laughs> exactly. Um, just lead, leading on from there, Charlie, you know, if we Brits do want a choice of sustainable homes, should we be really looking at, um, you know, do we move or do we stay? I mean, what, what are the cost benefits of staying and improving rather than, well, I'll go to a brand new home that may have all these sustainable, um, you know, benefits? Well, the issue, you know, the new houses we're building in this country are not being built to low energy enough standards by and large. And that, that's a slightly political point, which I'll steer clear of for the sake of all of your, your listeners. But so fundamentally, what you need to be thinking about is that when you do any work to your house, improvement, extensions, new bathrooms, whatever, that is the time to go, OK, how can we also really reduce the energy demand on the building while we've got this upheaval? And so when you're changing a boiler, when you're redoing the kitchen, that's when you can look about maybe internal wall insulation or externally insulating part of the building. And I think if we all start, we all need to do that because it's not just good enough thinking about the new houses, of which there'll probably be another 3 million by 2050. There's going to be 26 million existing houses that need to be brought down to near zero carbon as well. So, you know, as a country, we need to tackle the existing housing stock as well as the new build housing stock. So I don't think there's a single sort of steer in that. I think we all need, it's much more, unfortunately, more nuanced and a bit more complicated than that. But there is a lot of advice out there. You know, we've, we've written some hints and tips on a blog on the eonenergy.com website. There's the Energy Saving Trust. There's some really good initiatives coming from the government to lend money to people to do these things to their houses at very low interest. So now is the time. And the first step, other than changing to a renewable energy supplier like Eon or someone else, is to do some research and start understanding the issues and opportunities. OK, I think that's, that's absolutely the right answer. Um, but how can architects persuade developers to introduce sustainable products? Uh, sorry, that's politicians need to supply and develop. But, uh, politician. but we do actually have the um, the government's housing design and sustainability policy, don't we? With, um, you know, obviously the 10 indicators that measure quality. Um, you're right. Maybe it's not for today. I'm and sorry. It's not. It's not ambitious enough. <laughs> they're saying they're saying we'll be carbon neutral by 2050. That's the entire economy needs to be carbon neutral by 2050. <laughs> Houses should be there by about 2035, 2040. And it's totally doable. If they just change the way they do stamp duty, 
they actually put the new building regulations at a reasonable standard, should be zero carbon. You know, uh -huh. we're building zero carbon affordable housing in our village. Why can't everyone be doing that? So really it has to come from government, I'm afraid. And, mm -hmm. and they are not reaching that, they're not answering that demand in my opinion. But oh. again, that's a bit political, so I probably Yes, it is. Well, think... stay clear of the political. <laughs> Scott, Scott, Sorry, I'm just going to step in. I think, yeah. I think on the point of ambition, I think it shows a good example. I think there's actions that we can all take as individuals. There's actions then that companies, you know, and, and I'm proud and pleased to say that Eon's one of them, that that can take action because they can affect big change as well. But we also do need that, as, as Charles said, we need that political ambition and will as, as well. There's some great schemes the government has, but you know, if I, if I look on the transport side of things about uh, you know the the changeover from uh, from petrol and diesel cars to 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 at least making sure that that new cars are hybrid. We've called repeatedly for that to be brought forward again, similar to the housing legislation to to around 2030. We've got to get on with this stuff. Yep. There's a role for government. There's a role for companies and there's a role for us as individuals. And right. as I say, it, 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 you know, a good starting place is knowledge. I say what we've tried to do at Eon is on eonenergy.com is give people hints, tips, advice about energy, about other other changes. There's a great blog on there from Charlie. That starting step, because we can all take these little steps ourselves, add that to the the, 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 the progress companies are making, and then hopefully the political will and ambition will come there as well to, to, to give give the rules a change that, that just speed everything up. And it gives me confidence that we can we can meet this challenge of the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. I think the point there is get your house in order and then the politicians will follow. So, you know, the, the absolutely we have to take responsibility as individuals. So I think, you know, that is the, the key message is get your own house in order. And if we all do that, the politicians will follow. Well, actually, Charlie, just to close, I was going to ask you to give me your uh, top three sustainable takeaways, but I think you've already given me four now because at the beginning you said reduce CO2 and, and climate change. Um, we should get our homes well insulated, low energy to make healthier homes and invest in our homes to increase value and reduce running costs. And you've just said get your house in order. Was that, were they all correct? I think that's about right. Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> Scott, do you have three little words to sum up your uh, contribution here? The simple thing, check you with a provider that's giving you renewable electricity as standard. Uh -huh. Eon, we do that. Proud to say, so make sure that's the easiest thing all of us can do. Get your electricity from renewable sources from a company like Eon. That's wonderful. Well, it's really been enlightening talking to you both. Thank you so much for joining me today, Charlie, Scott on Let's Talk Property. Wow, well, we're out of time. What a fun, what, a, what an informative and thought provoking show. Did you enjoy yourself, James? I did. I did. There was just so much brilliant advice and information. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so I think we can finish with three questions. Have you had your boiler service this year? Have you made a will? And are you thinking of making your home sustainable and healthy? Thanks for joining me and James today on Let's Talk Property, Radio Reverb 97.2 FM and DAB. Until next time, it's me signing off and goodbye and thanks to you as well, James. Bye for now. Thank you. It's a house thing It's a house thing